Mamma Mia subscribers, you've been asking and we've been listening. Now you can get all of your exclusive subscriber audio on Apple Podcasts. That includes everything from bonus episodes of your favourite pods to exclusive segments to all of our audio series. To link your Mamma Mia subscription to Apple Podcasts, open the Mamma Mia Out Loud page in your Apple Podcasts app and follow the prompts or head to help.mamamia.com.au. You're listening to a Mamma Mia podcast. Mamma Mia acknowledges the traditional owners of the land we have recorded this podcast on, the Gadigal people of the Eora Nation. We pay our respects to their elders, past and present, and extend that respect to all Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander cultures. Mia, I have to tell you something. So I had an intervention yesterday from an 11-year-old, not one that I know. I met an out louder at the book event I was at last night, and she said to me that she was listening in the car with her 11-year-old daughter to last Friday's show. And do you remember how we were talking about Meghan Markle? And at one point I said to you... I'm confused about your outrage. Can we move on? Yes. (laughs) Apparently the 11-year-old turned to her mum and said, oh, those women really don't like each other, do they? (laughs) And the mum was like, of course they do. You know, people don't always have to agree and was like, you know, teachable moment. And we talked about disagreement and all the rest of it. And the 11-year-old was listening and like, "Mm mm-hmm. And then she listened to a bit more of the show and she was like, no, they really don't like each other. (laughs) I was like... Oh, I do really like her. Like, that's we're so really good funny. friends. I think we've been a bit snippy with each other apparently lately. To me, that's a sign of closeness. Clearly, we're getting a little too comfortable yes. in telling each other. <laughs> in our relationship. Welcome, welcome to Mama Mia Out Loud. It's what women are talking about on Friday, the 2nd of September. I am Holly Wainwright. I am Mia Friedman. And I'm Jessie Stevens. And on the show today, are you in sync with the season your life is in? And our best and worst of the week, which range from parties to rest to women ruling the world and grief. But first... In case you missed it... Apparently nude beaches and indeed topless sunbathing are dead. The internet has killed them. There was an article on The Atlantic this week, Is the Internet Killing the Nude Beach?, And it said clothing optional public spaces seem to be declining in popularity, especially among young people whose relationship with nudity has been shaped by a lifetime online. The kind of nude imagery that we encounter online, airbrushed and filtered and heavily stylized, seems to be warping our collective understanding about what human bodies should look like. And exposing yourself in an unforgiving setting like a nude beach without the benefit of filters or face tune can be terrifying. Holly, this will be terrible news for you because I know you love a nude sunbathe (gasps) on a public beach. That's very depressing news if that's true because if anyone who's ever been on a nude beach or near a nude beach or a topless pool like the one that I used to live near in Coogee, the joy of it is seeing what bodies actually look like without filtering face tune. Like I find that absolutely liberating and wonderful. So I hope that's not true. I don't think it's true. I don't buy it. I I reckon that Gen Zs and that younger people are more open and more accepting of different bodies than any Mm. other generation before. You go to the theatre, you watch movies, you even go on any social media platform and there is more diversity in body representation 
than ever before. Underwear ads. It's not about other people's bodies. It's about your body, though. So I used to sunbake topless all the time at the beach. Holly, did you? No, never, never, never. Because I'm so pasty white. I can't, if I expose any bit of myself to the sun, I just explode. I have never done it because I think that there is a certain cup size where it is appropriate to sunbathe. And once you are over that cup size, I feel Um. as though we never see women with really big boobs doing it. It's like I always see women with their beautiful little A, B cups and I think that's appropriate. I just feel like I would look extremely inappropriate if I had mine out. That's a fair point because that's when I used to do it, when I probably Mm. had a B cup boob. But the the point is not that we're necessarily judging other people's bodies, is also because of the rise of the camera phone. People don't want to risk being topless at the beach because it could end up being everywhere or nude at the beach. So I think that's probably more or just as much a part of it. Leo, it's my birthday. Happy birthday. How old are you? 25. We should celebrate. Hold on. Leo? I need to say some unpopular things about Leonardo DiCaprio. On Wednesday's episode, I was listening and you brought up Leo's habit of dating Victoria's Secret models. And I thought that you were going to address the commentary that we've seen this week, but for years, about Leo's habit of dating younger women. But you didn't really go there, the age gap relationship. And so I have arrived and I have some thoughts. (laughs) My opinion can be summarised as follows. Let the man live. Full disclosure, (laughs) Leo is to me what Brad Pitt used to be to Holly before we found out he might be a bit of a bad man. I think he's one of the greatest actors of our time. He's been yelling about climate change for a long, long time. He's donated more than $100 million to climate activism. He used his only Oscars speech when he won Best Actor to talk about the climate and how we have to stop procrastinating. At 24, so in the late 90s, he set up his environmental foundation, which now spearheads more than 35 innovative conservation projects. He saves the tigers, he saves the elephants, he saves all the other animals. Oh my God. But none of that matters because Leonardo DiCaprio dates younger women. And look, this is a fact. Leo has a thing for women under 25, which I must admit, once I turned 26, I felt weird about it for five minutes. <laughs> but here's what's pissing me off. We talk about his dating type more than any of the other stuff, and I feel like unconsciously or not, We are putting him in some sort of loosely defined Me Too camp when he does not belong there. Dating younger women is not a crime. And I want to stop infantilizing women and pretending that they have no agency in this. A woman in her 20s is not a child. She is an adult Mm. and she's making a decision just as he is. Instead, I'm seeing lots of feminists using very intentional language like, Leo preys on young, vulnerable women who are less powerful than him emotionally and financially. Leo is at the height of male power, that's clear. And in a lot of ways, for better or for worse, a 22-year-old model is at the height of female power. That says something about our society more broadly. And what does the world look like when you can have anyone? I think we've, we've learned that. It can look exactly like that. An older, powerful, rich man dating a beautiful 22-year-old man. That's why everybody hates it because it but is it's the not his fault, most sir. predictable 
nonsense of all time, right? So you're 100% right, Jesse. Leonardo DiCaprio is not breaking any laws. He is not doing anything wrong. The heart wants what it wants. But people are... So does the pain. Yes. And he is allowed to date whoever he wants. But as a high-profile person, people are also allowed to have opinions about it. And I'm sorry... But your girlfriend's always staying exactly the same age as you age. Because how old is our friend Leo now? 47-ish. He's heading towards 50. So you aging and your girlfriend's always staying the same age is, again, not a crime, not predatory, not anything. But it does say something about you. And I think that women look at that. Spell out what it says, Hol. Well, it says that you... (laughs) It says that you only really value one thing in a partner. Yep. Two things, youth and beauty. Because a woman cannot be beautiful and young and also interesting. No, that is not what I'm suggesting for a second. I think, of course, they can. And I am not denigrating any of those women. I reckon that all of those women, as you said, have complete agency. But let's not pretend that a 47-year-old man and a 22-year-old woman are on the same page life experience-wise. Occasionally, yes, I have no issue with age gap relationships, but the reason that this is a thing with Leo is not because it's once or twice, but it's because it's over and over and over again. He's allowed to do it, but we're allowed to mock it. That is the way the world works. I think you're allowed to mock it. This rhetoric around him being a creep and it being some kind of feminist crime, I really don't agree with. Well, the one he's just broken up with... I'm just going to say that I learned this week that he met her when she was 12. Yeah, I learned that Because too. she's the stepdaughter of, I think, Robert De Niro. Al Pacino, I And he think. was friends yeah. with the family and Al Pacino and not saying anything and, you know, these things happen and then she got older and then they started having a relationship when she was 19 or 20, whatevs. I think that the reason, Jesse, you're hearing the older feminists perhaps of around Holly and my age, it plays into our worst fears about what our value is and the fact that as we age, the fact that we get more in our power, the fact that we learn more, have more life experience, are more assertive, know what we want, are more complex, are more saggy, have more lines. The fact that that is so completely alien to a man who is as old as we are is deeply unsettling. Well, and it also just tells you a lot about him. Reflects on him. And I think that's why you you see such scorn from women when any man does this and chooses a partner much, much younger than them because you cannot tell me that you are the intellectual equal of someone who is half your age. you just not. So what does it mean that you value again and again and again and again? Alternative theory is that... It's often said that with famous people, they stop maturing at the age they became famous, right? So you look at a Justin Bieber or even Leonardo DiCaprio became famous very, very young Mm. and it stunts you in a way and I find that theory very compelling. And I wonder if that's part of it. He's never sort of lived in the real world in a lot of ways because he's always been so rich and famous. So maturity-wise, maybe these women are more on his level than a woman that's... But, you know, Justin Timberlake also became famous when he did the Mickey Mouse Club and has been famous since he was very, very young. And I think that the reason that you are detecting such absolute fury towards this guy who's just trying to live his life Mm. is that he's become an avatar for a culture 
that values youth and hotness in women above all else. Yeah. And I want to be clear, I don't have fury. I just have mm. a level of disdain because disdain. I, I agree with you, Jesse, about all the amazing things Leo has done. I also agree with you about his talent. But every famous person, especially someone at movie star level fame, we also have, rightly or wrongly, a sketch in our minds of who they are. And who Leonardo DiCaprio is, apart from climate activist and brilliant actor, is a guy who surrounds himself with a dude pack at all times, is always in nightclubs wearing baseball caps. When he was in Sydney, infamously drove around through King's Cross in an open top car like, I own this town, and is always surrounded by teenage models. So he might be an amazing man who's saving the world, but he is also a bit of a dick. A douche. I think we're allowed to have that opinion and we're allowed to mock it. You're That's what I think. You're too old for Leo. Once you hit your birthday, he'll be saying cheerio. Hi girls, it's Beck from Adelaide calling to say I did it. I subscribed. I felt like I owed you one. You girls have got me through COVID and lockdown really the last few years of my life since I've been listening. Thank you for creating this beautiful community and that I feel a part of. You are my friends from afar, so thank you. Move by Mamma Mia is the exercise app for anybody, anywhere. And in case you missed it, we dropped a brand new stretching collection that can be used to improve mobility and bookend your favourite sweat sessions. Mamma Mia subscribers get unlimited access to Move, and we drop new workouts every single week. If you're on the hunt for movement that makes you feel good, head to move.mamamia.com.au and use the code MOVE10 to get $10 off a yearly subscription. having one of those days, I need to play you some outstanding wisdom, my friends. This is Hugh van Kylenberg, and he is talking to Alira Potter, who is the host of Mamma Mia's podcast, Fill My Cup. So my wife and I, Penny, uh, we have three very young kids. We had a moment the other day where our nanny came over in the morning to look after the two elder kids. And I said to her, oh, how's your, how's your morning been? And she said, yeah, good. I've, I've been for a run along the Yarra River in Melbourne, then went and had coffee with my friends. And that was a really nice way to start the day. And she took the kids outside and I looked at Penny and I said, I'm so envious of that. Like imagine getting up, being able to just go for a run, go for coffee with friends and get that done before eight. Like just so jealous of that. She smiled and she handed me her phone and she said, you need to read this article. The title was, are you in tune with your season? I didn't need to read the article. I just knew straight away, I went, oh my gosh, I'm not in tune with my season. It basically said that our life is full of seasons. When we're in that seasonal chapter, we spend time wishing we're in a different season or a chapter. I have been guilty of every single season of my life wishing I was in a different season. And I'm doing it again now in this season, which I was longing for 10 years ago. I was longing for this season and it's here. And now I'm wishing I wasn't in it. Here's how I've um, put this into a practical strategy. I have gone through every chapter of my life and I've given it a name. What I've called this one right now is caregiving because my life is so heavily geared towards caregiving right now. And there'll be a stage probably in four or five years where caregiving is not the chapter anymore. And I'll look back and miss the caregiving stage. I'll catch myself going, oh, why don't the kids say they love me anymore? But do you know what? I'm actually getting my life back. So I'm getting to find parts of myself that I love again, things I love to do in my own time. There is so oh. much 
truth in that. Now, the article that Hugh's talking about in that was written by a, a woman called Kimberly Gillen, and it was in the, the Herald in July. Basically, in it, Kimberly was talking about how and she was talking specifically about parenthood as Hugh was, but this applies to all kinds of different seasons in your life of when you are at odds with the place that you are, that is where misery lives. Do we agree? Yes, but I found that so interesting because Hugh was talking about how every time he's in a season, he's longing to be in a different season. And I'm very much the opposite. Every time I'm in a season, I can't ever imagine ever wanting to be in another season. And I think everybody else who's in another season, I feel sorry for them because they're not in the same season I'm in. So I like embrace my season so wholeheartedly that I can never imagine not wanting to be in it. I'm the opposite, I think. I'm often thinking about the next season and obsessed with women who are in the next season and what that might look like. But I read that article in the Sydney Morning Herald and there was a few great points that the author made. She said that a lot of people never upgrade their self-identity when they shift into a new season. And I think that's very true. So the thing about I am a caregiver now or I am, Mm. you know, leaning into my career or I am now in my 60s or 70s and I am no longer a caregiver to my children who are at home. And she also said that burnout is resisting your season. So if you are a caregiver and you have little kids, but you're also trying to train for the marathon, work full time, do all the things that were indicative of your last season, then something's got to give, like it's going to implode, which I thought was really, really true, which comes back to what she said about self-identity. But for Hugh, I think that he's speaking about a very specific experience, but it got me thinking about people who are in a life season they didn't choose. Caregiving is a season where I think a lot of us think about it for a lot of years, especially now when you can choose when you have kids. How about when you're in a life season and you go, I didn't choose this. You might have a partner who's really sick You might be sick. You might have had kids earlier than you intended or later than you intended and you're thrust into a life season and you're going, I don't want to be here. And people really struggle to reconcile with that. I think that is exactly why this is brilliant advice, but it's actually very hard to achieve. I think it's brilliant the way that Hugh articulated, look at your season, name it, accept it. I think we all know on some level that acceptance is a very important part of happiness. But whether you can't accept it because, as you've said, Jesse, this isn't a season that you ever wanted to be in, but it's where you are, so you don't want to accept it because accepting it makes it real, or whether it's because you can't really lean into that season entirely because you've still got Mm. other things to do. Like what if your caregiving season coincides with a huge aha about your work season, you know, which is what it did for me, actually, when I was in that decade of looking after really little children. And it is interesting that lately I've noticed that that season has passed in a very clear way. My kids have just got to a point out of the weeds of that little kid years that Hugh's talking about in a way that is very freeing. But when I was in that season, I was also in the got to lean into work season. Mm -hmm. It's not always easy to choose one. So I think it's brilliant. I think it is very good advice. 
as a lens to look at your life because I do think that when you are caregiving, for example, and you're railing against it all the time and looking at everybody else and going, why don't I have the freedom to go for a run along the river, go out for coffee when I want to, go and have drinks with my friends tonight? It doesn't help. You've kind of got to go, this is what's happening now, but that will come. Yeah. But it's much harder to do than it looks. It's surrender, like surrendering to that period, but also knowing that this will end, that this period, even if it's really hard, there will be another one that comes along where you get to do all of those other things. Because well, I think that maybe there's a lot of nuance in this, isn't there? And I think what you say, Holly, is so true. Jesse recently picked up that you'd moved into that next season and I hadn't even been conscious of it. But as soon as she pointed it out that there was a, a lightness about you because your children had become a bit older. And I think what was interesting when you were trying to do both when they were really little, and I remember I wanted you to be the editor-in-chief of Mamma Mia then, and I tried to make you be that, and you <laughs> tried to off. be that, and then you gave it back <laughs> because you recognised this is not the season for that, and the season for that came later and then some, but I think that takes a lot of, I don't know what it even takes, but a lot of something good to recognise I want that but now's not the right time for that. Mm. But you know what? I sometimes think when I was pregnant with my first child, and this I was working in magazines then, and I got offered a big promotion, and I said no because I was pregnant with my first child. Mm. And I often think about that, not that I regret that decision because I don't regret anything about the path that my career took subsequently, but it seems really weird. Like, why did I do that? Like, I obviously thought that I couldn't do those two things simultaneously. But I know exactly why you didn't do it for the same reason that there have been a couple of times in my life where I've wanted to change jobs or change where I worked, but I was either pregnant or wanting to be pregnant. And what I didn't want was the extra pressure of having to prove myself in either a new job or in a new industry. It's recognising that it's not the pregnancy part, it's the part that comes after it mm. and recognising that. But I also think there's such nuance. And to go back to the conversation that we had a few weeks ago with Virginia Tapscott about being at home versus being at work, having a season doesn't mean you just get to do one thing. Like you're leaning into a work hole, but it's not like you've given your children away. <laughs> and They're still around. When your children were really little and mine, it's not like we didn't work. Mm. That's where it's the lean in, lean out. And I think what Hugh was saying about this is my caregiving season, it doesn't mean that he stops working because also who can afford to do that, but it means that he has to accept that he can't work with the intensity And he that can't he go for like a run to. along the Yarra at 7am. It's not that he can never leave the house, but just he doesn't have that same level of, and even when you do, you've got the guilt of feeling like you're stealing time from your partner or stealing time from your kids. And now I can go out and do whatever I want and no one cares. And that's lovely. That's really lovely. It's also a bit sad because no one cares. Passing of seasons is a bit sad though, isn't it, sometimes? Like, you know, leaves falling. Oh, I'm really torturing the metaphor now. <laughs> But it's true, Jesse. what you said, women are always, and we I know this from a lifetime working in women's media, women are always interested in the next season, right, because we are looking forward because we want to rehearse, mm. we want to get ready. And so we're watching other women 
when we're single, we're watching other women who might be living with people. And when we're married or with a partner, we might be looking at people who've got kids. And when we've got one kid, we're looking at people who've got two kids. And the problem is that as you get older, the seasons seem interesting, but then they start to seem a little bit sad. Yeah, yeah. Like when you're looking forward. And the other thing is that they're not always cyclical. Like I'm seeing a lot of women at my age who are wanting to lean into work when their partners, particularly if their partners are male, are not, they're wanting to lean into a, not retirement season, but a different priorities. Yeah. Whereas women at this season, when our kids have got to a certain age, a lot of women want to put their pedal to the metal and not necessarily lean into their career, but do something else for themselves. It's best and worst time. Jessie, you go first. My worst is sort of to do with life seasons. My mum is in her early 60s and she has found herself in a really sad life season where she has in two years lost two siblings, a sister-in-law, an uncle, a cousin, and it just feels like it's coming all at once. And she said this week she just doesn't know where you're meant to put all the sadness, when you think that you can't cope with another loss and you're still processing another loss. And I I know very little about grief. I've been incredibly lucky, but my mum knows a lot about grief. And one thing I've learned looking at her is that when someone dies, it's connected to all the other griefs. You mourn not only the brother you died but the other brother that died and your father that died and it just kind of compounds and I think that sibling loss is just one of my worst nightmares and and you lose chapters of your childhood when you lose siblings and trying to navigate that life season I can't begin to imagine and so trying to like I just don't know what you're meant to do when someone that you're close to is in a stage of such intense grief and she's feeling for all the people, even the kids of her brothers. Mm -hmm. There is nothing you can say. There isn't anything you can do really. It's just awful. It's got to be one of the worst things you can experience as a human being. So that's been really awful this week to watch. Well, you could have a baby. That would cheer her up. I think so. I think that's a really good point. I'm trying to lighten it up. <laughs> like I'm trying to think of something that would cheer our beloved Anne yes. Stevens up. I mean, because it's it's awful, but also there's truth in that, in that it is seasons and there are going to be two weddings. It's not to take yes. away because you're right. There's nothing you can say. Like there's nothing. And going, oh, well, look on the bright side. We've got weddings yeah. to look forward to. But the truth of this messy life is that these things do coexist in our hearts Mm, and our lives mm. all the time. And also it's beautiful what you've just said, Jessie, because the truth of it is is that we know as you get older there are so many piled up losses and people are carrying around with them all the time Mm. and just enormous love to you and your family and anyone who's feeling this. Tell us your best. My best is a lesson that I have learned that I think is a bit of wisdom that a lot of us got from COVID, but I, a little while ago and still am kind of obsessed with long COVID. Like I went on a real deep dive and I did that no filter with um, Tracy Spicer and I read a lot about it. And mum actually got COVID about a week ago and she's been sick with that as well. And the one thing that I told her was of everything I've read, 
if there's one thing I know for sure, it is rest, right? A lot of people say that getting back to exercise too quickly or pushing through it, one of the worst things mm. you can do. Anyway, this last weekend I was could feel I was coming down with something, not COVID, but a cold. And I was meant to have this really busy Sunday. I had all these commitments. And on Saturday night, I just went, if you do all of those things, you'll throw your week out. You'll pay for it all week. And so I got up on Sunday. I cancelled everything. I slept for about 12 hours. I like intentionally, earlier in the year, we did a um, subscriber episode where Holly shared what rest actually looks like, which you learnt Holly in the wake of COVID. I did all of those things. And the only way I got through this week was because of that. You recharged. Yeah, actually recharged and went, it isn't worth spreading this out over weeks. And if there's one silver lining from COVID, I think that's it, that we learnt that pushing through actually makes you sicker. So it's the least productive thing you can do. So I'm glad I made that decision. And for anyone who feels like they're getting bloody sick at the moment, go to bed. And just don't feel guilty about it. Don't try and push through with productivity. It's not good for you. Poor Anne's had COVID and now she's had all this loss. Outlatters, you know Anne's a bit iconic (laughs) in the Outlatters Facebook group. She is our avatar and our team leader in many ways. If you are in the Outlatters group, do what you can to cheer up Anne Stevens. And we do send her all our love. She's probably in there posting really grumpy comments about some complaints from the episode today. Let's just let (laughs) let her have that. Let's let her have a bit of complaining. It helps her feel better. Occasionally she brawls in there, but we love her. (laughs) Okay, I'm going next. My worst is very simple. It is men killing their partners. This week, obviously, we spoke about it on Wednesday about the Chris Dawson verdict on Tuesday, which was incredibly positive in lots of ways because it felt like some justice was served. But I also know that it was incredibly triggering and upsetting for so many people, so many more people than you might imagine, actually, who know, live with, live adjacent to, carry grief inside them about women they know whose lives were either taken or ruined because of intimate partner violence. It is just the biggest issue. We know what the stats are in Australia. We talk about it all the time, one woman a week. I just think that the Chris Dawson verdict is a triumph. There's a lot to be taken from it. And it was a twisty true crime podcast that we all became obsessed with. But we should also all hold on to that reality and whatever we can do to change those statistics. That was my worst for sure. My best However, it's a personal one, which is that obviously this week, I say obviously as if everybody knows, but I assume if you're following on social media, you would know that I launched my fourth novel this week, The Couple Upstairs. And the best thing about it was, yes, that the book is out in the world and that feels like an enormous sort of relief. It's a little bit of a terrifying relief releasing a book because you're like, oh, it's out there, off she sails. And then it's also like, oh, my God, what are people going to think? But actually, the loveliest thing about it was that on Tuesday night at the Mamma Mia offices, we got to have a little party and lots of my favourite people in the world were there. Obviously, not all of them for many reasons, but lots of my favourite people in the world were there. You two were there. Lots of Outlouders were there virtually. It is lovely, especially in the face of what we were just discussing, Jesse, about grief and seasons, to just celebrate come together, celebrate. I felt unbelievably lucky and blessed that people made that effort, but also it was great. And thank you. Thank you to everybody who's supporting the book. 
Have you been on Booktopia today? That's what I've got up while I'm talking no. to you. You are currently number four of all books on Booktopia bestsellers. <gasps> Am I? Yes, and you are number two in fiction. Oh, my God. I've been avoiding because I'm like, I don't want to see it because it won't be there. I never got to number four. You have gotten to number four. <laughs> What's and above her in all books? <laughs> Who in do we need books, to take down? <laughs> we need to take down a cookbook. It's very hard to take down Emma Carey, the girl who fell from the sky. We'll let her. Oh, she fell from the sky. She's pretty awesome. Number three is James Clear Atomic Habits. We can take him down. But you're beating Crawdads. I don't even know what that's about. Oh, thank you, Jessie. You've just made my day. This isn't about beating other women, but sometimes we beat other women. And in fiction bestsellers, you're number two and... Jane Harper is number three. So, um, oh, she's not even released yet. I don't. Hey, think. But, that, but that's but interesting. Still- <laughs> whole of the top four books, you're the only fiction in there. Oh yes. Oh, well, that's lovely. So, thank you to everybody who's bought the book, and that's made my day. Thank you, Jesse. I genuinely didn't know Jesse and I have a key difference in our personalities, yeah. right? Jesse obsesses with this. I am obsessed with it in terms of its outcome, but I deliberately don't look all the time because it makes me anxious and sad. So. Thank you, Jesse, for being you. Yes, anxious and sad. We were having the same conversation yesterday because Jesse knows everything about out loud and numbers, what our download numbers are, where we are on the charts. Jesse and producer Liza are obsessed with that. And Holly and I, like I couldn't tell you, I'd never know. And then occasionally they'll just send a screenshot of the charts and I think we're number one and two this week. Fiercely competitive. episodes. My worst this week is that I messed up With two of my children this week, probably three. (laughs) We'll find out one day in therapy in the future. But I won't go into it because their lives are theirs and not mine. But even as your kids get older, parenting is hard. It sometimes feels like the stakes are higher. And when you do something wrong and you just mess up a conversation or a moment, it can feel really... Oh, man. I don't know. It can just feel really shit for them and for me. And it was nothing, it was nothing even big, but it's just, I don't know, your relationship with your kids as they get older just kind of feels more tenuous and you feel more vulnerable in it, weirdly. I get so emotional when I talk about my kids now. I don't know. I wish I was in the room to give you a big hug. As someone who isn't a parent, I just, that's something that you cannot understand until you have kids. I look at it and I'm like, your kids are fed, happy, well-adjusted. One of them I really like. He's in the next room. (laughs) Like, they're doing fine. I think when your kids are younger, they love you so much and so hard that sometimes it can feel suffocating a little bit almost, but you're never in doubt, right, because you're their moon and their stars. And as they get older, you're not and your place in their world becomes more precarious. And so you're more aware of when you do something wrong or something to upset them or hurt them or something that... You should see me at the minute, Mia. I'm in a very needy phase of parenting where I'm just constantly following my daughter around being like, you want to talk to me, don't you? You want to hang out with me, don't you? Can can I take you somewhere? Can we do something together? And she is like, mom, why are you so obsessed with me? So I totally get it. Anyway, tell us your best. My best is women, actually. So... On the Insiders program on Sunday, that's a a sort of a political show on the ABC, there were two people that would usually have had a very combative exchange and they were Business Council Chief Jennifer Westacott and ACTU Secretary Sally McManus. Now, 
the boss of the CEOs and the businesses and the boss of the trade unions historically have always clashed because it's perceived that their interests are very misaligned, I suppose, because it's been perceived that if things are good for the workers, then they're not good for business. And if they're good for business, they're not good for workers. So what was extraordinary about this kind of interview with the two of them is how well they got along. This is the first time I think we've had two women in these roles at the same time, to my knowledge. And a lot of people were commenting on it, on how odd it looked and seemed and sounded that it was so civil and they were finding points to agree on, they were respectfully disagreeing on points, but there was not an attitude of point scoring or gotcha moments or being performatively difficult or, you know, combative. And here's a little bit of what it sounded like. I know Jennifer talks about um, people sitting around and talking about innovation and productivity. And I know for a lot of um, her members that that probably is happening. But I can say uh, across the economy, it is not happening. Well, well, the first thing is, let me just say that Sally and I are absolutely on a unity ticket that we want people to be paid more. And we want that those wage increases to, to be sustained. Yeah. So the idea of uh, bargaining being simple and fair is something that we both support. Um, those are the principles absolutely. And just where Jennifer left off about um, the Hawke and Keating enterprise bargaining um, system, I think we can get very close to that and maybe even do better. I just thought that was so interesting. Like, respectfully, they disagree on some things, but let's also talk about the things they agree on. And a lot of journalists were talking about it afterwards. And it was reported that one person said, oh, I don't really understand. And was sort of saying, oh, maybe it's their personalities. And another male journalist shouted out, no, it's because they're women. In a positive way, like that they're not dick swinging, essentially. You know, they're trying to be constructive in their relationship. So I just thought that was really, really interesting. I could talk about that for 100 hours, Mia. We need to put Why? a Why? What that. do you think? I think it's fascinating, but I also think it's interesting because I hope that's true, that that's what happens when women rule the world. But then also we often talk about the pressure on women to always be yeah. a certain way. Anyway, I love it. A very quick recommendation. I can just see producer Emsby losing her mind. But Jessie Stevens has a quick recommendation for us before we go. I do. It is called Lip Blush and it's from Sephora. It's a soft matte lip colour. I'm trying to get the name. I don't know. I'll find it. It is one of those products that you put on your lips first thing in the morning. stays on all day. It's not lipstick. It's like a lip tint thing. Oh, I love those. It doesn't look like lipstick. Like I don't want to look like I have lipstick on, but I also have transparent lips. So I just need a little bit of color. Absolutely obsessed. As I bought it, the chicken Sephora was like, this product is ridiculously amazing. It's $22. It's like a dupe for some expensive NARS ones. Yeah, so I used that NARS one on you the other day, which sounds weird that I'm putting lipstick on you, but you (laughs) were desperate. You asked. It wasn't my idea before anyone gets angry. The NARS one is like 50 bucks. Yeah. So if there's a $22 dupe, I'm into it. I'm going to go and check that out. Yeah, do it. Lip blush at Sephora. Outlouders, we have a special treat for you this week in yesterday's Mamma Mia subscribers episode. We tossed Jessie out of the studio and invited her twin Claire Stevens in to talk about why she quit the best job she ever had. So a couple of years ago, Jessie and Claire sort of made slightly different decisions in their careers. And I'll talk to Jessie as if she's not here. Jessie decided that she wanted to not climb the corporate ladder, but more be involved in making things. 
And Claire decided that she would climb the creative ladder and she became editor-in-chief of Mamma Mia, which meant she was responsible for all the written content that our company creates, which is a really, really big job. And she was really, really, really good at it. But a little bit like that time, for different reasons, when Holly gave back that job, (laughs) what's the common denominator here? Claire made the tough decision to walk away from that job. And in yesterday's subscriber episode, she talked us through that complicated time. And it was so enlightening. And Holly got to ask some questions because Holly was Claire's boss at the time. And of course, I was the one that brought Claire into the company and and encouraged her to climb that ladder. So it was a really interesting conversation. So Mamma Mia subscribers get two extra segments per week. And also, if you're an annual subscriber, you get a free ticket to the Skin Summit. And who wouldn't want that? So there's a link in our show notes to become a Mamma Mia subscriber. There is one more thing we have to tell all the outlouders about. We have been hinting at it, but you need to sign up to our newsletter if you want the tour details. We are going on tour and everything about it is in the newsletter. So you need to sign up. Thank you for listening. That is all we have time for today. This episode is produced by Emma Gillespie and audio production by Leah Porges. We'll see you next week. Bye. Bye. Big thanks to anyone listening who has become a Mamma Mia subscriber. Subscribers get access to every podcast, exclusive videos, and all the great articles on Mamma Mia. Subscriptions cost as little as $5.75 a month. There's a link in our show notes. 